Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So the question with Djokovic is, okay, what now? Yeah. I don't remember being super stressed about seeing Nadal in the final mm. because... You know, after 2011, that's like the one thing that you felt like. Even if the 2011 US Open, that third set was, I really think that's where Nadal kind of had a, got a foothold again in the rivalry because before that he was kind of lost because even if at Wimbledon he won the set, that was, that was not the same. It was, he was just not really there. And in a way that it was kind of shocking. So he shows up in the final. And at that point, it, I was thinking about this. He's won one Australian Open and Djokovic has won two. Like that is as even as as things could be back then. Yes. And he had played that Burditch match that you were mentioning, that long match. Then he beat in Federer. <clears throat> Not as tough as 2009. Right. But still. And he's there. He has this big brace in one of his knees mm-hmm. per usual. I don't remember being that stressed about it. God. And then I remember the experience of this whole match. Cause you know, they started back then I lived on the East coast. So three 30 AM. And I just remember it being like a, a long slog, which obviously it almost lasted six hours. But it kind of, the match has had its own rhythm. It had this like very deliberate rhythm and everyone was taking their sweet time. Mm-hmm. And then I remember thinking that by the end, I mean, I thought Djokovic was probably dead at the end of that fifth set. Uh, when he goes down 4-2, you're thinking, this is, he's toast. Yeah. And then he's not. Yeah. So... I mean, I guess the narrative after that was like, well, yeah, he still has Nadal in his pocket, even if Nadal pushed it and had a lead in the fifth. And it was basically, oh, here he comes again. He's even uh, stronger since he seemed frail and somehow ends up surviving semis and finals, which is kind of an underrated feat because, you know, Nadal has the famous one from 2009 where he does the semis and the finals, both five setters, both really long matches. And this... Technically, was longer. Than yeah, those. By, by like an hour, I think. Yes, yeah. longer, but then the ones were more impressive just because I don't remember Murray playing anywhere near what Verdasco did to Nadal that day. It was not. It was just, you know, one of the, they're, they're probably, I'm guessing it is, their longest slog of all the slogs that they played. Yeah. yeah. So coming out of the Australian Open, I remember that narrative and feeling like, okay, Djokovic is back to business. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? He doesn't win another slam until the next year. Yeah, I mean, the 
the insanely ironic thing is like this match helps Nadal mentally more than it helps Djokovic. Like um, mm-hmm. I, I still remember from your your Rolling Stone piece when you linked to that video, and Nadal's like, yeah, I mean, winning in two thousand nine was great, but my best memory from this tournament is losing in two thousand twelve. I'm like, what what are you talking about? How can that be your favorite memory? But I mean, it helps him. He won the next three after that, and I think like six out of the next seven or something. Um, and and the one he lost was that kind of surprising one at Monte Carlo where Djokovic was just perfect and destroyed him. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that's still so wild to me because after the match, the commentators are going like, yeah, I mean, um, like the, the attitude seems to be like, that was a very brave performance by Nadal, but like, he's never going to get over the mental devastation of this. I think like Chris Fowler says like three times, this pain will stick with Nadal for the rest of his life. Um, but it didn't really <laughs> turn out that way, um, which um, was, which is wild. No. Yes. Uh, I mean, you can, I can, I can hear Fowler saying that. And that's one of those things where, <clears throat> you know, I see the point. Mm-hmm. Obviously it was dreadful, yeah. but my guess is not all. And I don't know if sometimes in my personal experience, I don't trying to do anything, mm-hmm. say, say play the drums. And if there's a song that I want to play, I'm going to try to play it. And I don't come close. And then if I, it's a feeling you get that you can, you can see yourself doing it. Yeah. And I think that's what Nadal got back in the fourth and the fifth set. Like, yeah. I think there is a way for me here, mm-hmm. even if it, <clears throat> it ended up not working in the end. Because that's the thing. I don't think Nadal played all that well that day no i i don't know if either of them did like i think i mean i mean one of the reasons why the match was such a slog was like not only was it six hours but it took three for the match to actually get good like they they weren't yes. good at the same time for three sets um yeah which is why this and isn't one of the greatest of all time no and when people mention it i'm like uh, uh, no and i think it's this is the classic match that definitely got better as it went along but it took so long yeah and then the fifth set, like the stuff that they did at the in that fifth set, makes no sense. Oh my god! I mean, so I, th- it, I think people who think that is one of the greatest matches ever probably just remember the fifth set, right? Yeah, um, because I, I would have people watch some of the crazy points they played in the fifth set. They make no sense. That made no sense if they would play those in the first set, but they yeah. played those in hour five. Right. The, the fact that they do that like more, the closer they get to dropping. Um, it makes no sense. Like usually when players get tired, they shorten the points and they just went longer. Um, it, so was, I think that's, it was crazy. I think that's definitely the, <clears throat> like I thought it was having the lead, but I think it's having the lead and being in it and forcing Djokovic, pushing Djokovic, pushing him to the very end mm-hmm. that maybe told it all, you know what, there, there, there's a way here. Yeah. Because actually early in the match, I don't know if you got the same sense, but I felt like early in the match, Djokovic didn't really, it's a weird performance for him too. Like he's, I think early on, they're both kind of uh, stiff and getting over their semifinals and they're just trying to get it together. But Djokovic is playing this final really aggressively. Like he's not, he's not really doing a whole lot of uh, backhand jail. He's right. just trying to attack all the time. And he's not sharp, so he's missing a bunch. Yeah, lots of inside-out forehands that kind of sailed like wildly. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, 
kind of the only i mean in the first set it's really weird because like Djokovic's first three service games are a battle and he finally gets broken at two all and Nadal is like holding really easily um i mean there's a point i I mean and you see like even with um like the commentators are saying this is still close even though Nadal is kind of playing well and Djokovic is kind of not and like you see that even with Djokovic playing really aggressively there's nothing Nadal like there's nothing resembling the backhand jail he can put Federer in. And so he needs to try to do these things to give himself time, like maybe land a shot on the baseline. Djokovic has to half volley and then he gets time or like something mm-hmm. he does a lot that eventually gets him into trouble is like he slices to Djokovic's backhand because Djokovic can't get as much pace on those. And then he attacks with the inside out forehand. Um, and he kind of does that at like, I think one, two, 15 all, they play a long point and Nadal slices to his backhand. Djokovic hits like a slower one and that lets Nadal like take a full swing, do the full like lasso, put the top spin on the ball, lands it right on the baseline, gets another weak ball, like hard inside out, and then eventually finishes with a smash. But it's like he like he needs to construct the point to get those kinds of forehands because under normal circumstances, like Djokovic just doesn't give him time. Yes, uh, I like how I took notes. <clears throat> I don't know why I took notes, but I took like these long notes. <laughs> I think it's like five pages of notes of the match just to, I guess, just to sear those yeah. in my mind. S- and s- I have, s- send them to me after this. Yeah, you can have them. Yeah. They're, they're this one about that point you mentioned, I put, yeah. uh, I put the score wrong. It's 1-2, 15-0, first holy shit moment. Yeah. And Djokovic half rolls his ankle. like Right, you know, yeah. Because it, it was it was barely, the, you know, he, he the way he moves somehow, he yeah. doesn't do this more often, but it was a like a little thing. Yeah. But it, it did feel in those, especially the first set, second set, third set is weird. Third set, he, I mean, the, the that's Djokovic got mode, just, Djokovic. Like, yeah. He yeah. steamrolls him. Right? And Nadal is kind of like, I don't, I, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. And he's just getting blasted. That's right. kind of like the 2019 final. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's just when Djokovic is hitting with hitting the ball that early, that cleanly. Yeah. And into those targets, that's it. Yeah, uh, no one can do anything. Nobody, nobody. That's just how it is. Yeah. But in the first three sets, it feels like Nadal. <clears throat> I wrote something about how he. he it f- almost feels like he feels 2011. Like he's carrying 2011. Yeah. Like I don't think he fully believes, and he's doing this thing that we see with other players where when they play especially one of these guys mm-hmm. where you see them like trying to go for stuff for too much. Yeah. And then I was like really frustrated with himself when he would miss. It's almost like he knew that his margin of error was right. Small. Um, it's like if Djokovic even starts to play a little bit better, like this set gets away from me. Exactly. And the, you get the sense for the first four sets that, yeah, if Djokovic just settles into something resembling consistent, good play, this is over because yeah. there's this these times where he just steps in, blasts stuff into one corner, blasts stuff in the other corner. And yeah. Like, what is Nadal supposed to do? Yeah. And Nadal's playing with his mindset, but I do think that surviving the fifth set, the fourth set, because Nadal had no chances. Yeah. Like in the in the in the um, broadcast, they don't mention this, but even in the second set, that break when he breaks Djokovic when Djokovic is trying to serve for them the yeah. set I mean Djokovic breaks himself like yeah and it came out of nowhere like Nadal yeah. played two good points the rest yeah, of it's just exactly. Djokovic I mean, doing his thing yeah and that's a stretch that really highlights how much of an advantage Djokovic had in the matchup because he's got 40-15 and from there it takes both 
a complete implosion from Djokovic, and Nadal blasting his forehands down the line, and and a double fault from Djokovic, and then he gets the break. Like, you need all of these things to happen at the same time. Um, And I mean, like, yeah, he breaks, but it's, I mean, it feels very, very tenuous all the time. Yes. You feel like that came out of nowhere, and then the very next game, Djokovic, like, gets back on track. Like, let's fix this mistake right now, because I can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, now the first set, Djokovic is just so mediocre in that set that Nadal should have won at 6-4. Absolutely, yeah. There's no reason why he didn't. He just played a really terrible game at what, 4-3? Yeah. Uh, Or 3-all, I think. Just the dreadful, 4-3. Yeah. Dreadful game. No reason that he played that. And then, you know, the the set extends. But that's actually, let's get into this thing that I... because we you're talking about narratives. Yeah. The big narrative coming out of this match was that these guys take too long. We need to do something, which right. is classic ATP oh, that God. you now have lived through with the bathroom gate yeah, and all that it's... nonsense. Classic overreaction <laughs> to a very specific, to one person or at most two people. Yeah. Like changing a rule for everybody based on two people. Right. It made no sense. It yeah. made no sense. But there was this huge outcry. And they started mentioning it in the match. And I, my theory, it's funny, because you hear it at the end of the first, at the end of the second, at the end of the third. The reason is simple. It's because it's taking so long. And it's not very good. Right. But then at the end of the fifth, like, no, no one, no one cares anything. anymore. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's been like, this is one of the best matches. It's like, right. Stoli says, this is one of the best matches I've ever seen. I'll never forget this. Like, I think you will, you've already forgotten. <laughs> the first three sets. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's. It's hilarious because, like, like you said, after everyone, everyone loves it. Like the the chairman guy, like during the trophy ceremonies, like if there are ever two athletes that deserved a standing ovation, it's these two. And like everyone is so into it. Um, I'm just like, well, and, and also like, it, obviously, because yeah, pushing that all four set, right? They and, want more. And like you said, like this, this is only ever going to happen with these two guys. Like even when one of them is flying, the other one's faster. Like it's. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I've rarely agreed with a tweet more than like, I think during the French open match, you tweeted, like, I think for matches between these two, just ditch the shot clock because they're both, they both take a long time. Um, and like, they're both doing these crazy things and people expect them to do them on less time. And I'm like, yeah, like they're, they're both slow. Just, just let them do whatever they want. Tennis is amazing. Yes. That, that has always been my point. And the funny thing is <clears throat> this will surprise you. Yeah. But what I realized is that the biggest winner of this match was none other than Pascal Maria, who was the umpire. Uh-huh. Because, for God's sakes, it's his job to monitor this thing. He yeah. didn't do anything. Oh my God! Anything. He's, he's he's one of the best. Like he um, because the line really calling good. was bad in this match. Like um, like oh, Djokovic so- gets pissed off because so many he calls got missed. A bunch of times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and even and Pascal was not a, was barely overruling anything. Right. The line judges were a disaster. Especially at the baselines, yeah, which is and 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 consequential points. That's one where you always you, you want to go back to the the people who are like lamenting the loss of lines. You go, right? No, the, no, the, no, this is what happens. Yeah, get him out of I there. Mean, yeah, like um, oh Nadal. It, it happened <clears throat> when um, Nadal serving four five in the second. He had a game point for five all. Djokovic nails a return on the baseline, called out. Like that would have made it five all in the second set, and thankfully he challenges, and that yes. that gets fixed because that could have really swung the match. Um, oh my god! But yeah, I mean it's yeah. It's well, and Pascal Maria is the biggest winner, I think, because out of 
after this match, no one said, man, Pascal Maria really should have done something about the pace. Yeah. Because here's what I did. I was one of those people. Because I'm, I'm watching that first set, and I, I'm watching it on YouTube, and I'm, YouTube gives us this wonderful thing of like being able to go five seconds, which is it's peak absolutely mandatory. Yeah. <laughs> like, you cannot watch this in real time. Yep. <laughs> Don't do it. And so I'm, I'm noticing that I'm having to click a lot of times. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay. So I have second set. First point of Nadal's opening service game. So Djokovic already held. Yeah. Double fault. Nadal takes 22 seconds from, from when Pascal Maria called the score to get to the service line. 35 seconds for the serve. And I'm thinking, what the heck, Pascal? <laughs> I'm not saying, like, keep them to the... And people should know, people listening to, to this that maybe don't remember. Yeah. But, you know, tennis is a big, giant clusterfuck of everything and the this time rule was the epitome because the itf had one the atp had another and the itf one made no sense the slam one made no sense it was 20 seconds right they said it in 1960 and forgot about it because it wasn't a problem it was never a problem until this match (laughs) when uh you know uh, there's a certain gentleman who was not in this match very plays very quickly very influential and was getting kind of kicked out of prominence. You know, who many could you possibly be talking about, man? Who can this be? Many <laughs> connections, many... Well, some, we have to do something about this. Yeah, you know what you do? You tell the umpire to do his job. Right. Do your damn job, Pascal Maria. Tell them, guys, guys, speed it up. You're taking like 35 seconds. And at one point, they do say in the broadcast, I think it's, yeah, at the beginning of set three. Because again, we've been on court for like two and a half hours yeah. and get two sets in that weren't good. So people are saying that, and they're saying Djokovic is taking 30 seconds and about 34. 33. Yeah. <laughs> and it's nuts. Cause yeah, the rule is 20 and Pascal Maria has not said anything. Yeah. He's done nothing. And he was a good umpire. He was, he was in a lot of great matches and he was one of the better ones. He's a disaster in this match. Uh, for what you said about the the line calling that was bad and he didn't do anything. The one I was really mad about was in the fifth set mm-hmm. where Djokovic hits one on the sideline. And this is where I'm always harsh on the umpires. Like, yeah. if they don't overrule with something that's on the other corner, I get it. It's mm-hmm. far away. It's hard to see. But that line, you're right on that line. Yeah. That's your line. And Pascal doesn't overrule it. And Djokovic is just looking at him like, what are you doing? You're making me use a challenge in the fifth set? Like, my God. Like, it honestly felt like Pascal was in a coma or that he <laughs> needed to go to the bathroom because he he just seemed like he was asleep. I mean, and the thing is, it was hot. Like, they say it was yeah. hot. Yeah. It was, a, a, they say it in centigrade, but I think it was like 31 degrees after, after yeah. the second set. And then it barely went down because it's so hot and humid in Australia. And you can see it, not even... Obviously, not all is sweating, but he would right. be sweating anywhere. But Djokovic is sweating. And then you see the crowd shots and everybody's like shiny because it's just human. So there is that. But oh, my God, Pascal Maria, he must be so relieved that no one came out with the right take after this. Right. Because, yeah, and me included. I, didn't, I figured this out now. Yeah. And years after the fact, because I'm I, in the, at the moment I was making the argument you made, like, 
this was a great thing. This was mm-hmm. a good thing. People are raving about this match. The people who are not raving about this match and complaining about this match, how about how long it was, tend to be fans of a certain other player who was not involved in that match. Yeah. So let's put it in perspective. This was good. And, you know, very easy to prove everyone's reaction afterwards. That was in there, the crowd's reaction. I mean, it's it's not difficult. But all of this was so easy to solve. It's just telling yeah. the guys, guys, this was this was too long. Right. Like and like Pascal, b- both of you as well. Like like what the what, only yeah. two. Yeah. What are the only two? The other one who is kind of that slow is Del Potro, but that's it. Everyone else plays fast. No one else. Like I know that it's so funny now that Chillage <laughs> ended up taking that ball bouncing thing. He didn't do that before. Uh-huh. Tennis players are weird, but <laughs> this was not a problem and they made it a problem because yeah. it was so prominent on this stage as if there weren't a rule and there weren't a person on court supposed to take care of this but he didn't do anything he in the whole match i mean yes i was fast forwarding but i'm very sure he didn't say a single thing to either of them mm-hmm. and that's his fault in the first set it's his fault because and that's the that's been my whole beef with this uh, stupid rule to begin with when they actually instituted it and everything is that they would call it in the fourth set. It's like, call it early, set the tone yeah. so that you know they're going to do it. Don't show up in like crucial part of the fourth set and call a time violation. Right, because they did that in um in the French Open semifinal. Like, Djokovic is down break point of a break in the third. Like, hugely yes. pivotal moment. And I remember she calls the time violation and you just tweeted like, not, not you, Ava. <laughs> and she did it like... Yeah. Oh my god, like we were fine. Like that match was moving on. No one is claiming that they're taking too long. It was fine. Just just relax. But no, what happened? What happened, Owen? What happened? <laughs> Idiot tennis being stupid. Big brouhaha. I mean, this is really, if you think about it, it makes bathroom gate nothing. Because everybody all of a sudden had to buy those stupid clocks. Right. And now we have the clocks that are not an issue. 99% of the time. Yeah. Because of this match. Because people couldn't figure out, oh, we need a new rule. Actually, we have a rule. And we have someone to enforce it. He just didn't do his job. Right. And Pascal Maria just goes unscathed. He escaped. The, he's the biggest winner of this match. So Someone should write a book about this. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't tweet it because I was saving it for here. But uh, when when this goes up, I'm tweeting the crap out of that. Right. Freaking Pascal Maria. Yeah, go, I mean, go for it. Yeah. No one ever made that point. I, this I is mean, his job. You're going to break his heart because he says in like the whole strokes of genius thing, like the umpire's job is to go unnoticed. I think you've just, oh, you've he just went exposed unnoticed. him. <laughs> he didn't do anything. <laughs> and, and the thing is, he doesn't even have to do it during points. At the changeover, just tell him, right. guys, guys. Yeah. Move it up. And look, I would have told them, look at that first set. Yeah, there's 80, no reason. 80, 80 minutes. Yeah, that is not an eighty-minute set. That's right. that's a fifty-five-minute set. Like, guys, come on. Second set, that's a forty-five-minute set. But let's. I know you guys play long points. I know you guys are slow, but but that's the thing. Like, after Nadal does something like at the beginning of the first set, the second set, which hey, if people want to yell at me, go look at it. You can find it. First point, first service game, double fault after he had one let. So he served three times. Goes to the towel, 
towel off again, even though Djokovic just helped. I mean, as we know, double faults are really tiring, you know? Yeah, I mean, you got to swing the racket a whole two times. Yes. Three times he did. Oh, he did that's right. Maybe that. Maybe that's why he took that long. So that yeah, third, the, the third swing tri- triggered a new sweat <laughs> gland or something. I don't know. Yes, thirty-five seconds to serve. I mean, he was past the rule. He didn't even get to the service line. And then afterwards, yeah, he's between thirty and thirty-five. Djokovic between twenty-five and thirty. But for some, and that's that's Pascal's thing. He should have that first hit. I mean, I don't know how you are sitting there. And this is why I think I'm also harsher on tennis umpires than most other referees. Because, like, the NBA guys and gals, because they have both, they have a super hard job. Like, mm-hmm. those are giants moving at the speed of light right. in a very small space. Good luck seeing anything. Uh, you know, and they mess it up. But and also they have to run. The soccer guys and gals are incredible because... Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the the main one, the head one, because the other one's just, you know, running every once in a while on mm-hmm. the line. But the main one has to cover the whole court, the yeah. whole field. With incredible athletes running incredibly fast. Yeah. So there's and, that. And tennis, you have a chair elevated like a billion feet above the court. He's um, just <laughs> sitting there. <laughs> just sitting there. Sitting there, typing on a on an electronic screen. That, that's all they're doing. Like for God's sakes, how do you finish that first set? Look at the clock that's right there, and be like, man, these guys need to. They need to ramp it up. I'm, I'm falling asleep here. Yeah, you fell asleep. We all noticed it. Well, actually, no one noticed it. Pascal, he got away with it for so long. Anyway. No, that was a that was a very fun rant to listen to. Um, you didn't see that one coming. I say no, not not at I've all. Been, well, well done. I've been stewing on this since I started watching it because I saw uh, the first set two days ago, mm-hmm. and then I saw the rest yesterday. And I saw the first set. I'm like, for God's sakes, what the heck? Yeah, this is just taking so long for no reason. And yeah, you just let them. And he had he had the power. He had the rule. He could have done something. Yep. But no, that's, but this is peak tennis. I mean, really, the bathroom stuff is nothing compared to this because it became a narrative for years uh-huh. because which tournament was going to, well, coming up with the rule, coming up with 25 seconds, everyone agreeing on the 25 seconds. Mm-hmm. This was a multi-year idiocy. And I just forgot. Because it just said like, hey, like there's a rule. Use like enforce it, please. Or I feel like them now, now the, in this year, like 2022, what? what or after the 2021 season, I feel like it was less of an issue. Like it was less of a, a problem. Like the one you mentioned at the French Open was like, thankfully we didn't really get in the way of stuff. Yeah. But now when it happens, you're kind of like, Err? because, you know, people have adjusted. Players know they have, they can't take that long. Yeah. And then the umpires have become less draconian right. because they were the a-holes who would start the clock after a long point, immediately before they even call the score. And then the crowd's going nuts. Mm-hmm. There were, I mean, how many times have you seen a highlight or if you're watching and rewatching a match where crazy point, crowd goes nuts, players, you know, take their little bit of time. Yeah. And then as the player's about to serve and the crowd is still making noise, yeah. they got a time violation. It's like, right. No, now, now they know that after a long point, they should let people settle down. Take a while to call the score. Just 
let's be reasonable. Right. I mean, I, I think the way to do it is like change the number of seconds based on rally length. Um, you know, like if it goes above 10 shots, add five seconds or something like that. Um, and, and you don't even need to count. Just see, oh, long point. Guy's tired. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. unless it's unless it's really insane, like what Lendl used to do. Like, um, yeah. Just... Oh yeah, he was. Uh, they were talking about that in the broadcast. That he took twenty eight seconds apparently. <laughs> um, twenty eight, not twenty seven, not thirty. Twenty eight. Brad Gilbert said in his book that sometimes Lendl would take like fifty seconds uh, if he was losing. <laughs> um, he'd just completely kill the pace of the match. But I mean, the the one thing I'll say in Pascal's defense is like. I understand the impulse not to want to interfere with a match, especially if it's a final and especially if like something special is happening. But at the same time, like something special was not happening at the end of the first set. Like no. if it's, if it's the fourth and it starts to become a problem, I get it. Don't say anything like don't interrupt this spectacle. But I mean, early on, I think if he had just said like, Hey guys, both of you like speed up, please. Then is... I, I can't see how that goes wrong. My guess is he, I mean, that's the thing. This really wasn't much of a thing. I mean, yes, people made fun of and noticed how Nadal had his long uh, thing. But in classic tennis fashion, I remember clearly there were people who praised him because it was like taking control of the match and whatever. And, you know, he's having, he has all his convoluted takes and routines. Yeah. But these guys played so many times a year before, and this was not an issue. Right. And I think the only reason it happened here was because of heat. Right. They were both tired. They and played a, a long route to the final. It was a hot night. It was muggy. Pascal probably thought, you know what, guys, just do whatever. Right. right. Take your time. I'm not gonna right. I'm not gonna be like, hey, move it when hey, it's so hot and you guys are playing yeah. these points and have played so much. But I, I do think that there was a happy medium ground where he should have done the bare minimum. Yep. And not let this spiral out of control. Because actually it's after it's out of control after the first set. Mm-hmm. yeah so i mean i i i can't argue with that yeah i mean um and yeah i mean and and the first set is kind of short of all these holy shit moments i mean you get another one at Djokovic serving it to all deuce and he approaches the net off kind of a so-so approach shot mm-hmm. and nadal hits the pass right at him Djokovic hits a good volley i've watched yeah. this with multiple commentators all of them like either start talking or take their eye off the point Nadal somehow like flaps his racket at this thing and it squirms over the net um, and then passes Djokovic on the next shot. Um, yes. And it's, I mean, that, that get might be the individual shot of the match for me. I don't know. I don't know how he got that thing back, but um, no, that was nuts. I, yeah. I, I wrote insane defending from Nadal for the first break point at two all. Yeah. And, and you want to know a crazy fact about this match is, I mean, Nadal blows this break point with horrible second serve return. And that is yeah. the only break point Djokovic will save until the last game of the match. And, <laughs> and, and that is, and that is both because Nadal's not getting any break points. And when and he does, he gets Djokovic he... plays terribly. <laughs> like there's, well, yeah, but he double faulted one. Yeah. You have two easy backhand down the line misses, and then you have a yes. short shot in the fifth that he hits to yes. Nadal's forehand and gets burned immediately. Um, and that's all yeah, of them. Actually, <laughs> like, oh, I forgot that we should, I meant to write this and I remember yeah. I never did, but one of the cool things, about this match is actually the camera work is very nice because we yeah. get a lot of like the lower angle and that ma- that miss yeah it was a really bad miss because it was a second serve on break point yeah but you can see the action on Djokovic's serve because mm. it actually jumps on Nadal and Nadal has to hit it way higher than he thought he would have to yeah but you see these little details right 
and some of the rallies that you see on on that camera are so nice when you know when they play actually a good one but no you're you're right to me my favorite shot of the match after watching it again mm-hmm. i have forgotten about it yeah it's somewhere in the somewhere in the fifth, in the fourth or the fifth where <laughs> yeah the fifth set Probably one of the greatest Nadal forehands of all time. Is this Falling five, backwards, five all? inside out. No. They, oh, they, right, right. The third the point inside of the match. Yeah, yeah. He's falling backwards. Yeah. Backwards. Djokovic is on that side of the court, and he still blasts this thing. Yeah. Like 101 miles an hour or something. Made no sense. Yeah. I watched it a couple of times. Like, How the heck did he do that? Yeah. It was at 15 all. Yeah, third yeah. point of the fifth set. For some reason, this match also had this... I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of the sets started with really good points. Yeah, I, I mean, the first point of the fifth set I, I wanted to talk about, because that's like, that's peak Nadal. He changes the direction of the ball on every shot, and then he finishes yes. with like a really slow inside-in winner, and then immediately just yells vamos. And I'm like, it yes. looks like he's going to win this set. I mean, we'll we'll get to that eventually. That was, and um and the start of the fourth as well, the, yes. the second point that they play is one of the best points of the match. Um, the second point. That one I just wrote ridiculous stuff at oh, love fifteen zero zero, yeah. And the other one I wrote first point is a tone setter blistering the raw forehand winner after a long rally. I mean, yeah, it was. You're thinking, wow, okay, yeah. this is happening. Yeah, but yeah, what a yeah. This match is a trip, and I, honestly, I would tell people because I think my stance after when it happened was, you yeah, know, a lot of this wasn't that good. The end was mm. great, but and then I think I watched it again. I thought. You know, it's an interesting watch, and yes, just the end, the fourth and the fifth are good. Yeah. Now I would say the fourth is okay. Yeah, I would probably start watching in the game where Djokovic is up love for you, where you think this is going okay. to happen. I would, um, I, I would watch the first two games of the fourth, because that's when Nadal really actually gets his teeth into the match for the first time and, like, hits some decent first serve returns. But, but yeah, yes. I, I kind of had the same feeling when I was watching the fourth. Like, the, the narrative is that it's just an amazing set, but I think between one all in that three, four game, like nothing really happens. Um, yeah, there was kind of just motors, motors along, but then yeah. that three, four game is nuts because oh the God. stuff Djokovic does to get to love 40 yeah. is ridiculous. Some of his returning in this match is just absurd. What he's doing. Yeah. I mean, I mean second I mean, serves sure, but he's yeah. putting some first serve returns that you're like, what does anybody yeah. supposed <laughs> to do with that? It, it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, um, this, this is jumping way ahead now, but, um, I mean, you probably noted this, but the the five all thirty all point in the fifth, um, Nadal hits a first serve out wide. Djokovic blasts the return at Nadal's feet, and this guy is so tired he can't get out of the way of the ball. He volleys it back from the baseline. Like this return does not bounce. He volleys it from the baseline. It's an unintentional serve and volley from the baseline, and then it devolves <laughs> into this nineteen shot rally. And Nadal has to run like a mile and a half in cramps at the end. I mean, you can't you can't write this stuff. It's crazy. Yes, this is the one that I wrote. Jesus, in couple yeah. letters, the thirty all point. How after five and a half hours break point again? But really, how are they hitting the ball like this? Right. That makes no sense. I mean, that's just yeah. one of those where you're like, this yeah. is just a gift. But oh man, well, I don't know if you noticed that this was the fun watch for me. I mean, it was interesting in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. like watching Nadal be just not as good as I thought he was. Yeah. Just visibly worse than the 2009 version. Just yeah. 
not getting a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. Backhand kind of stiff. Like he hits a, a lot of good ones, but also a lot of like not great ones. Yeah. But it just seems like the he's he can't find the the good medium of penetration with the weight of shot. So yeah. he's always struggling either too much spin and it lands too short, or he tries to flatten it and he goes way long. Because yeah, he has some backhand misses and some forehand misses that are not close. Like right. he's missing by a lot. So you think that you see that his his game is is not close to being in tune. No. Um. And I think I think the reason why for me is like Djokovic is just the worst possible matchup for him. Like I. Like when you watch him up to the final, he's so razor sharp. Like against Burdich, he's hitting these forehands and like return winners and these ridiculous passes. And then he kind of does the same thing against Federer. But it's like against Djokovic, I think the commentators are kind of confused that you don't see any of these like insane passes or like forehand winners down the line on the run. And it's like he's not being allowed to hit them, is the thing. Like he needs his forehand is such a fascinating shot to me because like when it has time. The, the things that forehand will do. It's like he can go anywhere. But when it doesn't have time, like you can attack the hell out of that wing. Um, and so like, and he just never has time. And so one of the things I noticed when watching this match is like the forehand winner he hits to save set point, like the second set point at the end of the second set to get it back to deuce at three five. After that, between that point and two all in the fourth set, he hits one forehand winner. Um wow. One forehand winner the entire stat. time. Like Djokovic has neutralized his game so much, and so I'm like, I'm watching it all, and I'm like, he he's not doing anything. Like he's falling behind on every single point, but you can almost hear him thinking, like, I like I'm trying, but I can't. Like there's there's nothing I can do here. Um, because the way to the way he can get into the matchup against Djokovic is like hit down the line to break the cross court pattern. But if you don't have time, you can't you can't do that. Um. And you can't yeah, do it I mean, from the Melbourne letters. Yeah, exactly. Which is where um, he was most of the time. Right. And and so like even late in the match, there's one point when Djokovic has hit 31 forehand winners and it all has hit 20. And like if and the forehand is probably the one thing right at this moment that Nadal does better, right? And yet it's been completely neutralized. And um and this third set, I think, is just an like like you were saying, it's just an illustration of like he can't do anything like, I mean, no one can, but I mean, kind of Nadal in particular, like he wins two points on the return. Um, he gets broken. He loses eight straight points at the end of the set. He hits one forehand winner. I think he forces one error with it. Um, but like you're watching these points and it's just like every single point he's, he's on the run. Um, and I mean, we say, um, the third set at the U S open was kind of when he got a foothold, but I think, I think he lost it like during the third set and he had to kind of get it again in the fourth set. Like for me, that fourth set is when it's like, okay, like yes. I'm, I'm going to go down swinging. But before that he looks as lost as I've ever seen him. Um, it was, he was lost. And, like, the commentators mentioned that like, he's yeah. lost. Yeah. The funny thing is that the commentators totally says that to, after the first, he thinks that I was winning in straights. Because he doesn't think Djokovic is like, he thinks Djokovic is done physically and it all looks okay. And I'm like, I would say that. (laughs) At least wait wait 20 minutes. I mean, um, yes. And then he starts making fun of his prediction, which is funny. Okay. Well, I like good good for him. Uh, That that puts him above uh, the likes of McEnroe and Arias, at least. Yeah, because they they forget whatever they say immediately. But no, Stolly was was funny because he was saying, oh, I thought this was done and dusted. And then he thought it was done and dusted 
the other way, which honestly most people thought it was done and dusted. Yeah. I mean, when it was three, four, La Forty, then yeah, oh, I this mean, is I, how this ends, right? I, I think even before then, like after the third set, it just looks like impossible because um, the ESPN people. I mean, I think you, I think you generally, as a commentator, try to maintain some suspense. Like you don't want to ruin the movie and say like this player is winning this, but like they kind of. I think Chris McHenry says like you know, Brad is saying, if Nadal doesn't redline, like, this is done. Um, and it was it was very emphatic, and it's not yeah. usually like that during a match, kind of regardless of who's playing. Um, the third set, I don't, did I not put the, I don't think I had, I did the stats for each set, but apparently I didn't do them after set three, because I don't know, it was, it was too quick. Yeah. But, no, that's, that's the thing. But, it actually Nadal says it in the in the comment in the during the broadcast they mentioned that Nadal said that 2011 the biggest thing was he felt like Djokovic took his time away. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the that's the thing. That's, yeah, he took that. It's two things. These are things that so many people that watch tennis don't even really understand how they work. But yeah, you take people's time away when you hit on the rise and you hit deep. Yeah, which is what Djokovic can do. But that is also the hardest thing to do in tennis. Like that is yeah. violently hard to do. Somehow Djokovic can do that mm-hmm. against anybody. But he's and the he's the only one. Um, he's like, the only that's, one. That's it. No one can do it. That the funny thing is the the guy who can do it every once in a blue moon is Schwartzman. Yeah. When he actually dis, he's just you know obviously different category of player yeah but that match when he beats not all in rome it's basically because of that because he's right. just taking the ball on the rise all the time and stepping in because obviously he's so short he, yeah he that's has how to you play like, all the time yeah either he makes it or not i mean otherwise what he's gonna run behind and wait until the ball drops yeah but i don't think and this was i think the shock for Nadal in 2011 even though djokovic played like that a little bit i don't even think djokovic necessarily understood that that was the key Mm-hmm. That this thing that no one could do to Nadal, certainly yeah. not Federer, right? Unless it was a low bouncing fast court. Yeah. If you take Nadal's time away, things become much easier because yeah. you get Nadal running and you get Nadal back. And if he's in the back, sure, he might pass you a couple of times because that's just how he is. Yeah. He might get back in a point a couple of times, but you have him not completely neutralized, but you have it in but a close. position that's yeah. more more comfortable. And you reduce the the kind of shots that you want to hit too. Like yeah. the, the reduces the degree of difficulty. So and that was the key. And, and that's actually the key to the the past the French Open semifinal, like the, the most recent famous of their matches, most famous of their matches. Mm-hmm. You could see early on that Djokovic was hitting the ball early. And he said yeah. that he was hitting the ball well so that's why he had confidence that he could get yeah. in the match i mean i can't imagine how hard that is like if yeah. anybody has ever played tennis against somebody who hits the ball with heavy topspin yeah i i remember you know i'm a very bad tennis player that haven't even played that much but i remember when i was learning there's this guy and i learned on clay on mm-hmm. proper red clay not in the u.s but in, in ecuador and there was this guy who was at the club mm-hmm. and he he hit the ball with like massive topspin. Yep. And I remember just seeing how this ball, the moment it hits the, the clay, just it's like yep. it explodes off of it. And obviously the, the natural instinct is not to cut it off it. It's right. to fall back. Yeah. And wait for it to drop in moon ball or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. How do you do that? I don't know how you do that. It's like hitting a basketball or a medicine ball or something. Um, and, and I think that like another thing that made Djokovic such a nightmare for Nadal is like, even when Nadal does get time on the forehand, he doesn't win the point all the time because Djokovic can defend like him. Um, like there are a couple of points like that, that second point in the fourth set when Nadal gets his inside out forehand going and he's just bombing shot after shot into Djokovic's forehand. And Djokovic gets them all back. And then eventually he reads one, gets it deep, and then he he's on top of the point. And it wasn't like that against Federer because Federer would slice and it's over. Or like, I mean, he's he wasn't that that much worse defensively, like still very good, but that that didn't really happen with him. Um, and then no. kind of another smaller thing that Djokovic did was like, since he was winning these baseline points, he never needed to come to the net. So like he could he could be very selective with his approach shots. Whereas if you're Federer, you want to get away from the baseline, you're going to hit some approach shots that aren't ideal and get past. And like Djokovic, I mean, there's one point like Nadal serving one, four, 15 all in the second and Djokovic approaches off like a very good inside out forehand that kind of hits the baseline and he still gets past, like can barely get a racket on it. Um, and it's like, um, but he doesn't need to do that because he wins from the baseline. So he can just, yes. he can just stay back. And so with and all of this, oh, go on. I was just gonna say with, with all of this in mind, it's like he's blunted all of Nadal's like strengths. Um, there's very little to fight back with after that. Not only that, but so if you're the Federer Nadal thing, you know, people always said you know the forehand to the backhand, mm-hmm. and that was how he did it. Yeah, sure. But the main key was Nadal. I mean, that was the main key, but mm-hmm. an underrated part of this whole dynamic was that Nadal was able to hit against Federer pretty mediocre backhands down the line. Yes. And not pay yep. at all. It's like he had him neutralized because he just put him in that corner without his forehand mm-hmm. and Federer just couldn't make him pay. Because yeah. that was the thing with Federer. The, the way out of that backhand is you got to take it early and you got to be aggressive. Otherwise, He's going to keep them there, which ironically is what Djokovic did to Nadal too. Yeah. Nadal has the same, <laughs> the same situation. Like, oh, I hit one of those crappy backhands on the line at Djokovic. I'm dead because right. the ball is flying to the other corner immediately and consistently. But with Djokovic, with, if you're Nadal and you're playing Djokovic, it's like, where do you go? Yeah, exactly. What is the and, plan here? Yeah. And that's, I think that's why he ended up overusing that slice because, um, you know, when he hit it well, and it stayed low to the backhand, it would work. But over time, he stops hitting it as well. And Djokovic runs around it, hits an inside-out forehand, and Nadal is screwed because he's on the run and he can't get back in the point. Um, yes. I think the reason like he overuses that, it's like, what the hell else am I supposed to do? Like, I mean, if if this doesn't work, what else is there? Um, and I What he's tried is, did you see the, the kind of moon balls that he tried in 2011 and again? Last yeah, year? and those got eaten up as well. <laughs> like, well, 2011 was hilarious. He did it in Rome. Yeah, <laughs> on the set point of the first set, do you remember that? Um, I think yeah. you remember it more clearly than I did, but I, I remember that match of just those weird, yeah. weird moon balls, which were a technical innovation from yeah. Madrid to Rome. Which, for those of you listening, thinking he got the order wrong, no, back then they were in that order. Yeah, um, yeah, he was like, "What is he doing with these weird moon balls?" They did not work at all. Yeah, just got destroyed. The ones this year worked a little better because the thing with those is you got to get them deep, yeah. So that they he can't have volley them, 
he can get him off the air, but he has to wait until they land. But even if he hits them early, he's hitting from the baseline. Right. But back in 2011, he didn't do it. But yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that you start doing when you you run out of options. Yeah. And you, well, I think all tennis players love, and it's easy in the vast majority of cases. There's a side you know where you can go, that is safer. Yeah. Like against Murray, you're obviously going to hit to the forehand, right? If you get a chance against any player, you can easily pick a side. But against Djokovic, that's always been tricky because, yeah, his forehand tends to go off every once in a while, but do you not really want to play right. there? Like, n- like, not enough to ever really make a difference. Like, it's it's kind of the similar thing with, like, I mean, and Jim Courier, I think, said this, and no one ever says this, with bother- which bothers me, but, like, his smash. Um, They're saying, like, you know, he's a perfect player, except, like, his smash is a little iffy. And Jim Courier goes, like, yeah, but you can't beat someone by feeding them smashes. Like, no. that's, like, you're going to get destroyed 90% of the time. And, like, maybe you get one miss or something. I mean, and, and in that Roland Garros semi last year, Djokovic smashed really well. Like, I think he missed one, two, um, made, yes. like, 13 or something. Like, it's not, like, a smash. Like, you're, no one's going to self-destruct by missing smashes. Um, no. Yeah. Well, also, it's just, there are entire matches where people hit, what, five? Four? Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's a not, not like a forehand, yeah. No. But good luck having a bad backhand. Like, right. That is more of a problem. Or if you can't return, like, oh, it's, it's so <laughs> I mean, different. It's, it's the plague on the ACP uh, right now. Yes. Yeah. But the the thing is with with Djokovic is that, yeah, people don't make that point. Like, there's no obvious way to go. Yeah. Especially if he's playing at a decent level. Mm-hmm. Where do you go? Yeah, and I think the the only the only way you can create a short ball is if you get him on the move, just which is you, you do against all the good movers, like yeah. get him on the move, and maybe one of those shots in the run is going to land a little short, and you're going to get a better chance to yeah. attack. Um, which is what Djokovic does to pretty much everybody. Yeah, he puts him, and he the, I mean the way he destroys not all second serve in this match. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean he, I, he just. That it should carry a, a, a not safe for work yeah. warning on it. It's just, he's on it. But the funny thing is, did you notice that Nadal was serving to the body? And actually, early on, he's getting a lot of good result. Yeah. Because that, that was the thing um, with them. Yeah. Back like then. When, when he tries to consolidate the break at 3 2 in the first, he goes to the body a lot and he gets like, I think like two or three, uh, like yeah. easy plus ones. Um, and that, and like I think in the in the four or five game in the second as well, he's down fifteen thirty, and he hits like consecutive body serve service winners. Um, and then after that, he gets destroyed. But like it was it was working for a bit. Um, and then but, it was not. Yeah, but but I mean, yeah, like th- this matchup, like Nadal Nadal is bad for a lot of this match. But like it's like coming into the match, he was playing so well. Like I don't think he's playing bad because it's like a shortcoming on his part. I think he's playing badly because he has to. Like. There's, there are points where he has really no other choice, um, and it's a credit I to him. I would say that he's bad. I would say he's not good enough. Yeah. And yeah. the funny thing is, you know it, he knows it, and Djokovic knows it. And yeah. that is the worst place to be. Yeah. When you think you have to play at a super high level just mm. to make it competitive, right? Whereas the other guys like. 
I can I just I can play at a C level and still beat you. Like and be, and that's the thing that I don't think people have realized. Like so, Djokovic does this to Nadal. Mm-hmm. He does that to Federer. Federer does that to Nadal. But what do they? What do both of them do to him? Like what is one thing that Federer and Joko and Nadal do to Djokovic that gets them in that comfort zone? Right. And for Federer, it's like serve out of a tree, which yeah. he has done. Yeah. When he dominates like, on serve, he has slice a, a bit. But yeah. But with Nadal, well, what what is what is what does he do? Yeah. And that's and I think that's the key to Djokovic's success in their head to head. Is that he doesn't need to change. Yeah. He could just do his thing. Yeah. And um, this match where he's technically completely undisciplined. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, that first set, I think he hits like 19 on force errors. Like he is, he is God awful. And yet oh. seven, five and the, and the last game went to deuce. like um, 19 on force. errors, one for five on break points. Oh God. Lost yeah. six. Yeah. He had four aces. 51% first serve percentage. Yeah, I mean the the irony is um I think 3 of those aces are in the game where he gets broken. <laughs> like which is which is crazy. But but yeah, I mean I think something people maybe don't appreciate is that this matchup Nadal against Djokovic is I I don't know if it's as bad, but I think in a lot of ways it's it's maybe a little bit worse than Federer against Nadal because at least Federer can hit his forehands to Nadal's backhand. Like, that's a relative comfort zone. He has the serve. But Nadal against Djokovic, there is no one pattern that ever works consistently. It's... No. It's hoping um, that Djokovic is off the boil. Yeah, mm. and and it's amazing that all this considered... Like, I mean, I know Nadal had that start, like, 14-4 and four when before Djokovic was totally fully formed. But, like, how, how the hell is he 28-30 and 30 against this guy? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And not like 15 and 48. It's it's amazing. No one else has 28. Yeah. So (laughs) that is the thing. I mean... He has the how many of these have been on clay? I think of I think uh most of them 18. I think 18 and then two on you grass. You absolutely know this. Uh, what can I see surface? <laughs> I'm on uh there it is. So yeah, on clay it's 27. Right. 27 out of the 58. 
Yeah. Hard is 27. It's, it's actually now pretty completely equal. And grass is four. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. But yeah, there's, when you split them up, I mean, that's the thing. These guys, the one thing that Djokovic does not have then would it make it like even more of an issue mm-hmm. against Nadal is when he, his point ending shots, yeah. when he's not taking it early, don't have the, the pace of like a big weapon. Yeah. And you can see it actually in the fourth set because yeah. he's taking the ball late and he's not, that's how he loses the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because his forehand completely implodes, like three errors in the last five points or something. Exactly. And he it's because he's not trying to hit early. He gets these short balls, but instead mm-hmm. of attacking them quickly, he like loads up and goes yeah. for like the corner and misses. Mm-hmm. That is the one thing I think makes, helps make, gives Nadal at the end. Because yeah. Federer, that's what Federer has. That's why Federer has had, you know, a good number of wins against Nadal. He has that, even though he has probably the worst wing of the three. Yeah. Like the backhand wing. He has the the biggest weapon of the three. He has right. the forehand where he can, if he gets a short ball, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Whereas if you give Djokovic a short ball, he will hurt you. But you have a chance, maybe. Yeah. You have a chance. You have both a chance that he misses or you have a chance it doesn't hit it that well and can make exactly. it in the point. Yeah. It's um, not as it's not a not a thing. When he's hitting it early and, and timing it so beautifully, yeah. You, yeah. You're you're toast anyway. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't really matter what you're doing. But no, it's oh, I wanted to see if you wanted to mention the miss. The miss. Yes, yeah, yeah. The I mean, I miss. thought um yeah. I mean, so I, I actually this is the only thing where I wrote stuff down. Um I think I was thinking about it and I feel like this miss is kind of almost misunderstood because I think the way most people look at it is big point didn't get to 40, 15 um, missed opportunity, but I was rewatching this match and the way I kind of saw it was so that break point at three, two Djokovic hits a central inside out forehand, Nadal hits a forehand down the line and forces the error. And like, you can finally see at this point in the match, Djokovic is slipping a little bit. Like he's he's lost enough in the legs that Nadal is finally getting some time on the forehand. Um, and you're kind of reminded, like, oh yeah, like Nadal's forehand like demolishes short balls. And then the first point of that 4-2 game, again, Djokovic like hits a backhand that lands around the tee, and Nadal demolishes it winner easily. Um I, I remember like Patrick McEnroe was like, all of a sudden Nadal's ball is like exploding off the court. And I'm like, not really. It's just like he has time. Like, this is this is what happens when he has time. But and then um then after that, at 30-15, Djokovic approaches Nadal's forehand with this crappy inside-out forehand. Like, the wheels have come off tactically now. Like, he's he's finally letting Nadal do what he wants. Like, Cardinal sin number one, hit short to the forehand, done that twice in the last four points. And number two is shitty approach to the forehand. And he does that. And what I think this miss does is it kind of jolts Djokovic out of that. And he's like, okay, I've, like, I need to refocus because I still have a chance in this game. Because I think there was maybe a moment there where Nadal could have like swept by him because when Djokovic starts to stray from this game plan, I mean, not, not like it was a conscious thing, just that like he's lost enough physically that his shot quality is suffering. I feel like maybe Nadal could have put the match away. And I think this miss 
more than anything, arrests his momentum. Um, because from 30 all serving, you should still hold. Um, so I think, I mean, it's not like this was game point or break point. Like, it's 30-15. That's not, in the grand scheme of things, a massive point. And I think what it did was snapped Djokovic back into it, and then he quickly gets the break back with two amazing shots. Um, what did you think of it? I thought that was great. You, I hadn't really thought about it that way, and but I think it is... He does that with Djokovic sometimes, where he just loses the plot and starts doing crazy stuff. Yeah. And sometimes he doesn't reset, and then he loses. But, yeah, you're right. I think he... I mean, he was, he looked terrible yeah. at, at, at this moment in time. It looked like, oh, this is going to be 5-2 in, in a little bit. Right. The funny thing is we, you know, this is one of the famous misses in tennis, in tennis history. I was convinced that it was at 40-15. I thought it was game point. Right, yeah. I realized, no, it's actually 30-15. Would have been 40-15 if he hits this. And man, I took a screen cap of it. And uh-huh. it's so bad. Like, yeah. Djokovic is... <laughs> Djokovic isn't even in that service square. Yeah, I mean, he could have hit it closer to the tee than the sideline on that side of the court and would have had a winner. Um, he just completely and, rushed. Yeah, and you can and, see that his feet are like everywhere, any the wrong position. He just rushed. He just got yeah. ahead of himself. And and the sad thing is, like he think at at first for like a moment he thought he made it. Like he yes. he clenches his fist and then he goes like, oh crap, that was out in challenges. Um, and well, I think they were both kind of delirious at this point. Of the oh match. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they knew what they were doing. Um, and the the crazy thing is, like, of all things that you could mess up, it's a passing shot. Like Nadal is the best the passer court. in history. Like this is this is miles easier than like half a dozen passing shots he hit against Federer uh, in the well, semis. Like, oh for my sure, it's it's crazy. It was, a, it was a terrible volley. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a dreadful volley. Yeah, I mean, I was I was watching this point. Like, I was surprised Nadal didn't pass him cleanly with the first forehand. Because, um, like, again, this was a dreadful approach shot. Um, like, Nadal's all the time in the world. And, like, and he does enough because Djokovic, it's a volley that sets up. It should have been, like, taking candy from a baby. And, yeah. Um, yeah, there was nothing. I remember, I remember when this happened, thinking, oof. And yeah, and I, I think you're right. He probably, if you ask Djokovic, he'd probably agree with you that because he's, like you said, he's different after this. Yeah. It, it's when he gets his break back, he's different. Oh. Like he, the way he, he holds, the way he breaks, like that, he's a different player. It's like mm-hmm. he snapped out of it. And remember, it was kind of, his reaction was kind of like, how he when he lost the break in the second set, like yeah. it's back to business, back to doing the things we we do well, and that was it. But I mean, yeah, who maybe not all goes up 40 15, maybe he loses the, the next point too. But I do think that sometimes when you give players that when you crack the door open just a little bit, yeah, you give them that get out of jail right. moment where they think, oh, shit, that was. Yeah, that, that that was a gift. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at the string cap and I'm like, how does he miss that? It it hurts. Like he yeah. has half the court. Yeah, wide um, open. So I, I I gotta ask, Nadal wins this point. Does he win the match? If this is forty fifteen and this is to hold, yes. You think so? You think yes. 
because I'm because I'm trying to picture him serving it out, and I'm just like, th- th- there, there's no way that game would not at least go to deuce. Like, oh for sure. I mean, th- there's no way that would have been an easy hold. I, I kind of think the same thing about Wimbledon 2018. Like, if he breaks at seven all, I mean, like it was it was a big point. But I'm still like, I don't I don't know if he serves that out. Like, yes, I mean that's a that's a fair. We don't know. I think if this, like I said, if this is 4015. He misses this, and he could have. This could have been five two right away. Yeah, but against the greatest returner of all time, who all all he needs is for Nadal to miss first serves, and he's yeah. in. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, it, was it a huge miss? It was a huge miss. Yeah, but it was it a like atrocious? I really think if this had been forty fifteen, and this is game point. Then you would have, I think there's more of a leg to stand on that. Yes, this was oh, such a huge thing because you go up 5-2 and then you have a chance to return. Right. And at this point, it all has all the momentum. Djokovic yeah. is looking gassed. He's looking lost. Like yeah. you said, he's doing crazy tactical things. That's where he Nadal probably wins at 6-2 if he even, holds he, after he, this. Even, even after Djokovic has to sit down for a couple of minutes, like eat some gluten-free dates and well that's the thing this well he's holding yeah you're right Djokovic would have had time to regroup but then he kind of has to feel the pressure of being right. two five and knowing i yeah. am like i mean best case you have to serve to stay in the match twice um yes. yeah I you're mean, you're in trouble yeah i mean i think i think like if i don't know if i can if i'm quite ready to say like 40 15 he wins the match i think if he gets a five two it all wins from there Probably, but I mean, he needed to get to five two. You want to get yeah. to that five two because you get two chances to to break for the match. Yeah, if you don't serve it out, and he could. Yeah, what a miss! But yeah, that's funny. We've all these years have gone by, and I was absolutely well. I was so sure that it was forty fifteen that when it happened, it surprised me. Uh-huh. I thought, oh crap, that that was it, right? And I watched it again, and even the commentator was kind of like. The, he he missed that. Yeah, he missed that. He's standing right at the service line, almost. Just oh my god! Because Djokovic didn't even cover it. He would not even take no. him he, out. He had, he had given up on the point. Yeah, he's he's done. Yeah. Oh my god. Poor Nadal. And I like how no one mentions the roof situation in this match. Although there really isn't controversy because right because that was that was right after the epic hold, right? Like um. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and um, and that that moment actually. Is one of my favorite minute rain match. Yeah, because um, because after he holds, there are a few moments when the crowd is still losing their shit after this escape, um, and you don't quite know what's going to happen. And Nadal, like, after he's done his chainsaw thing, he's like walking in a circle, and then he like turns back towards the court and he switches his racket to his right hand so he can pump his left fist again. And this is like at this point, this is like twenty seconds after the point has ended, and the crowd is chanting Rafa, and I'm just like. Oh my god, this is madness! Um, like I was, that was so crazy. Um, and he's like, he's gritting his teeth, and oh my god, he, um, looks, he looks like Kobe when he had that weird like jaw thing. <laughs> he looks well, and also we should talk about how Nadal wins the four set and drops to his knees. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, one of <laughs> one of my biggest what ifs. I mean, next to like if the changeover had gone off a year earlier and you did live analysis of this, um, but it's like, how does Nadal celebrate winning this match? Like. I don't know because there's a there's a point later in the fifth set 
they play this insane match and it all like barely barely celebrates because th- at that point yeah. there's like there's no there's, there's nothing, there's nothing. like you can't even at all is not going to waste energy celebrating yeah i mean and and the crazy thing about that point where Djokovic like crumples to the ground is like I don't even think Nadal looks over and sees that. Like, I think he no. he's facing the other way the entire time. Like, does that change things? If he sees Djokovic like the dead starfish after this yes. 32 there, shot rally. Well, and it seems like he's even crying or something. He just looks, yeah, brutal rally at 15 Oh, wait, no, that, yeah. that was an earlier one, actually. Um, yeah, that was, um, yeah, because after that one, Djokovic starts to smile. Um, I didn't put, yeah, I didn't put the, I didn't put the score in the, the 31 because I did put 31 shots and everything was a haymaker. Djokovic collapses after badly hitting a yeah. backhand. Not all barely celebrates. He was just walking. Yeah. Just kind of walk I mean, it's <laughs> just fisted. That was it. Yeah. I mean, so uh, another take I have from this match is like Nadal at this tournament, like is this the fittest tennis player ever. Like, I mean, cause he, it's, it's wild. Like he, he just does one fist pump, like doesn't even, doesn't even vamos. And, and Djokovic, like, not only does he fall back, but when he's getting ready for the next point, he is, like, visibly sucking air into his lungs. It's like, you can hear him thinking, like, I got to do this enough times so I can, like, put a serviceable swing on the ball. And the hilarious thing is, after he loses the 15 love point, drops his racket, and he bends down to pick it up, and he drops it again twice. Like, the first time he tries to grab it and kind of drops it again. And then, and then the same thing, like it takes him three tries to pick up his racket. Like you can see him fumbling with it like a child. Um, like he's, he's gone. Um, and I think Nadal takes a little longer to crack physically. I mean, Djokovic had the longer semi, but I'm like, like, again, this was a thing I wrote, like in that Nadal piece, I'm like, Nadal looks like he wanted to keep playing. Like he, he's still running like a madman in the last game. Like there's one point where his shot like clips the net and sits off. And he ends up having to do like four back and forth sprints and then finally gets back into point. Like he, I, I mean, this match was physical for both of them, but I think what fails to get mentioned kind of is like Natal does all the running. Uh, like most of these points are Djokovic doing whatever he wants and Nadal is trying to stay in it somehow. Um, he yep, must it's have, usually short point, yeah, short ball attack and Nadal's up down by the, the Melbourne letters. Yeah. Like easy. he, he spends most of the match by the Melbourne letters. Like it's crazy. <laughs> and it's hard. I mean, that's a, that reminds me of the, the 2009 years open final when Del Potro beat Federer. Yeah. Like in that match, you could tell that one player was doing a lot of the running. Yeah. And at some point it just doesn't become sustainable. Although, yeah. I mean, Federer had no chance, didn't even come close to what Nadal came close in the fifth, but yeah, at some point it's just hard to win a match like that when you're yeah. just chasing everything and running everything. But yeah, I remember that I had forgotten about Nadal celebration after the the fourth set. Yeah, I mean it's like that's like he celebrated like when he won Madrid. And yeah, this is the fourth set. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's more emphatically than he celebrated winning the semi of the yes. tournament. Like, and um, and I think it's interesting because like that that U.S. Open third set. That was an amazing set, but I feel like in this fourth set, like the reason why he's so amped kind of is like Djokovic played well, like in, in that third set of the U S open Djokovic was up a break like three times and kept giving it back. But in this one, like Nadal never had a break point. Um, he's down three, four love 40. 
just three times two points away from losing the match and he wins the set and i feel like you can hear him thinking like okay i can do it i can be i can beat this guy when he's playing well um and that and he just goes nuts um i mean and and this is something i wish the camera had focused on is like for just a second when it's still the court view and you've seen it all go down to his knees you can see Djokovic look to his box for a second, you know, sometimes so after he loses a set, he just looks to them like he can't believe what's happening. And you can, and it's like, he's thinking, oh my God, I have to do this for another hour. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and he almost got in. Yeah. That was, yeah. And, and the funny thing is talking about celebrations. I feel like this is the match where the Nadal fans definitely turned on Djokovic. Because before 2011, it was more of a like, oh, he's cute and you know, right. not really a threat. I mean, Djokovic had never beaten him in a final. It was yeah. just, you know, it's this guy, whatever. Then 2011 happened and they were they were shook. Oh, yeah. But then this one is where I think it turned because obviously it all came so close. Yeah. But then for some reason, Djokovic's celebration just rankled so many feathers. But, but like, come on, what do you... After that, like he could. Well, that was do always my point. Wants. Like, like exactly after I mean, that point. Maybe I if he wins in straight, all my clothes. Right. <laughs> I would have taken off all my clothes, and I wouldn't have cared what would happen. I would have yeah. had to have been you know rushed by security. Yeah. But they just hated that he tore the the shirt and that he was thumping his chest. Like, yeah. I'm the big fan of you know. Even if even if he's taunting, which yeah. he was not. When you lose, you lose. Yeah. You know, you have to take it. That's that's it. And I think, I don't know if they thought that he was taunting, but. He he didn't look at Nadal once. Like, no, he's not thinking at all. What he's telling my read of that was obviously he's not thinking. Yeah. This is just primal energy. But if there is a thought process, it was more of a, I survived this. I can do anything. Like, I can do anything. Yeah. And also all these people who said I was frail, all these people right. who said I can't fight, this is for them. And he's telling his team, yes, we, we are strong enough. We are, we've overcome because we survived that. Yeah. And somehow that just, that drove the offense crazy. And yeah. I never understood it. And then, and I watched it again. That's like my favorite Djokovic style celebration. Yeah. Because falling on the ground, I mean, that's just generic. So. Uh, I don't know. That's my favorite. I, I can't get enough of that. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think Federer does that better than most people, but most people fall to the ground when they yeah. win something. So for me, my favorites are, are actually when he does not do that. My favorites okay. are when this one. Where I mean, he he falls to the ground, yes, yeah. and then he has that maniacal. It's a great shot, like the, oh, from yeah. the top, yeah. and he's he looks like like a wild creature, yeah. But then you know, handshake, whatever, and then he just goes and rips the the shirt off, which yeah. is kind of like a two part celebration. I love this one, the the Wimbledon one of uh, just walking to Ned with that smirk after oh, beating Cutter. <laughs> That, it's just that the, the biggest screw you to the crowd. <laughs> like, and then the, the, the one at the 2015 years open against Federer. That oh, where he points. And, yeah. Yes. I, I love when, when he just, when he doesn't fall to the ground and does, well, in this one, he actually did fall to the ground. I mean, who wouldn't have fallen to the ground? Yeah. But it's funny how he has that like moment where he's yeah completely wild, completely feral. 
Yeah. And then it, it doesn't last very long. Right. It's kind of like he comes out of it, remembers that he has to go through the protocol. Yeah. And then he just completely and then it comes off. Yeah. And then he has that same insane <laughs> energy. Yeah. And it also re- that made me think of that. I think that on some level, that also kind of frightened people. Oh, yeah. I mean, like this, this guy is, and that's when, whenever he screams, people like get freaked out. Right. The the screams against Veratini at the Roland Garros were hilarious. I, yeah, I mean, I, I I was laughing, but I was also like, I mean, because I think after the second one, he went again, and I was like, oh, he's still going, like, and I just thought it was hilarious. But like, who wants to play yes. against that man? Like, that's it's frightening. Yes, and I think for fans, I don't know if they thought, well, you know, with with Federer being all gentile and tennis in general being all like, you know, kind of a dainty sport. Mm-hmm. And it all has that physicality, but I don't know that he frightens you in, in a way that when Djokovic is like that, frightens yeah. you. Because it all doesn't have that anger. It's always more like... Right. Just just passion. Like, And it's not necessarily yes. pointed at anyone. It's like it's, it's very... It's pure competitive spirit. Yeah, it, it's very ins- insular. Like, and, yes. and Djokovic, it feels like it's pointed at someone, like his opponent or the crowd, especially if you don't like him. The universe, life. Yeah. But it, it's just this energy that is it's not rational and it's yeah. just so strong yeah. that it makes me kind of understand why people, what he, why people don't warm up to him because yeah. that is a very, that is a, a side of humanity that I think people want to pretend like doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, and I, mean, these reactions, like, like from both of them, I, I could watch this like on loop for hours because like, while I, mean, cause Djokovic like gets up, and like for a second, he like you don't really see this much because it pans to Nadal for a second. But he like screams at his box and kind of wiggles his arms a little bit. Um, and and while he's doing that, Nadal like I mean usually after a match, someone is like shattered and crying. Like when you see Federer walk to the net, it's like head down, like takes the bandana off. And the one second you see Nadal, it's like bottom teeth out. He's like, like he also looks like very feral. Like he's just. I mean, he doesn't look, he doesn't look sad. He just looks like so angry that he's managed to lose this match. Um, it's like the angriest I've ever seen him. Um, like he can't believe it. Um, and you just have this one second when like Nadal's gritting his teeth, like he wants to shatter them and Djokovic is roaring at the heavens. Um, yeah, it's perfect. Um, and I mean the last, I mean the entire last game I love, but I also love how ironic the last point is because it's like after six hours of grueling rallies, it's like huge serve inside out winner, like good night, you know? I mean, it's almost like Djokovic is thinking this has already gone on for like an hour longer than it should have. Like I, this is not going to go for a second longer than it has to. Cause even in this game, he goes from 30 love to 30, 40, <laughs> like it, he should have held to 15 or something. Um, Yes. And and it's hilarious. And that this match is why I kind of have this rule now that's not logical, but I'm like, if a match is competitive enough, I expect like a fight in the last game. Like when um the, you, you know the Indian Wells final this year with uh Azarenka and uh Bedosa. Oh, I and, didn't um, see it, but yeah, I heard that it was Yeah, but um but in the third Azarenka breaks and then she's serving for it at five four and she goes up thirty love. And I'm I'm just thinking to myself, like there, there's no way something else is going to happen. Like, and then, and then she made four straight errors and went on to lose the match. But I'm just like, I, I just feel like some matches, like 
are going to refuse to end quietly through some like manifestation of the tennis gods or something. Uh, and this was like, this was one of them. Well, in 2015, US Open, Djokovic Federer final also. That's yeah. 6 2 in the fourth. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Because oh. three, three break points in the last game. Um, yeah. Got broken and then had all those break points. And yeah. Then it ended. It should yeah. have ended. Yeah. I think, yes. It, uh, this 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 was a fun match for those purposes. Like at the end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth. I mean, those yeah. guys are are in a place that I I really don't think is rational. Yeah. I mean, at the end of in that last game, Djokovic is like talking to the heavens, like he's having a real conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's praying, he's crying. Like um, when he when he holds to get back to four all, he like kisses his cross. And this is not yes. this is not like a peck. He's making out with the thing. Like he's no. Th- this is not performative either. This is right. It's like neither of them, and neither of them are even involving the crowd. It's like nothing exists yeah. beyond this. They're so in the moment. Yeah, they've forgotten everything. Yeah, they they don't have any more, any more energy, any more bandwidth. They don't have nothing. They have yeah. nothing to give to anybody but each other and against the other yeah and i think that's why the fifth set the yeah people should watch the fourth and fifth set which actually is not that long right like it i mean it's the fourth set is 88 minutes fifth is 76 so that'd be an hour 52 something like that 54 yeah i mean you know two hours is definitely more manageable than six yeah yeah (laughs) i mean definitely yeah, well, watching the fourth and the fifth is time well spent for sure. And I mean, we should say people watching on YouTube, if you watch it on your phone, tap on the side, you can fast forward 15 seconds. Yes. And on your computer, your cursor arrows will take you five seconds. Right. And you will enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. I mean, um, I this this was one of the matches where like I don't I don't remember exactly how I felt, but I must have been just like blown away where I was in that phase, like going through all these old matches and being like, oh, that existed. Like this one existed. Like how cool. And I think when I came across this one, I must have just been like, oh my God, I, I can't believe like this is part of history <laughs> that we get to enjoy. Like, I mean, um, like you were saying, it is kind of like towards the end, everything vanishes except for them. Like in that, in that four all rally, um, I swear it's like the world stops spinning um, for that 55 seconds or whatever. And that, do you remember the that horrible joke of smash at 30-15 in the yes. last game? I mean, that's got to be like the least surprising miss <laughs> yes. ever, right? Like, it didn't even feel like an unforced error because it's like, legs are dead, good lob, had to jump for it, pressure. Like, I mean, it went into the bottom quarter of the net, and I don't think yes. anyone was that surprised. Like, No. The surprise yeah. is that that was the only one he hit in the whole match. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Nadal, actually they ended Nadal up has with, one. Like, Yes, yeah. they ended up with one all in Joko smashes. Yeah, I mean, which is well, and Nadal was hard too. That all blew one from it was a baseline overhead. Yeah, yeah, it was those... very deep, but he doesn't miss those, right? But he completely yeah. blew that one, and and that felt brutal too because it he set it up with a forehand down the line, which like I don't know that he got to hit more than like seven of those all match, um, because it just never had time, um, which was which is one of the reasons why that that hold in the fourth was so crazy because um because that first break point starts with a second serve and he kind of has to trade blows for a little bit. And then finally he gets a backhand slice, which sets up the forehand. And that, that first inside out forehand comes about two inches away from going long. Um, but, but it's in and it sets up the second one, which is a winner. Um, and it's like how, how he had the patience to do that. 
when he was clearly screwed um in all in all facets of the match um I, I'll, I'll never know like that, that was wild that first break point in that uh three four and the yeah. four set that that is the one the only one that Djokovic he didn't even make a mistake he made a, a slight tactical mistake because they play that they play that rally mm-hmm. and there's a shot where Djokovic has a backhand lineup and it's not the most comfortable one but yeah. instead of going cross court he kind of goes not down the line because he's not even standing on the line right he goes straight at Nadal mm-hmm. and Nadal just takes the invitation and right. it's the first inside our forehand and yeah that yeah that's right and I'm thinking that wonder what happens if he just hits that cross court. Yeah. Because I think he thought, I mean, and that's the dynamic. That's the same thing. He thought he could get away with a crappy shot to Nadal's forehand back yeah. inside, but he didn't realize that Nadal was right there. So Nadal right. didn't have to do that much to run around. And also his backhand was not very good because he was, he was out of position. He was yeah. off balance, but that's, I mean, that's a slight tactical yeah. error. And Nadal did everything else to survive that. Yeah, but it was it, this was fun. I mean, it's just fun watching tennis and not dealing with our stupid current timeline. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, this was enjoyable. And ten years, I wonder what do you think the legacy of this match is? If it even has a legacy, I think. I mean, so, it has a very obvious one, right? The stupid shot clock. Yeah, I mean, could, could be could be the recency bias of talking about it, but I think most most important match of the era like if i mean if nadal wins this he gets the double slam that's his 11th major um i think i mean he would never have to listen to another clay specialist argument ever again if he wins this match um and i think he would have had he would have had he would well he still would have had to win the second u.s open Um, but so, so i guess in this timeline we'll assume that still happens but i think also this stretch for Djokovic, because he had just come off that U.S. Open where that proved mentally he could do anything um, with those match points. And this one kind of immediately after proved physically he could do anything. And so I kind of wonder what would happen if he didn't win this one, um, because maybe that would plant like a little bit of a seed mentally. Like maybe when he goes up against Nadal, he's still physically a little bit weaker. Um, yeah. Well, and- the funny thing is, for me, at the time, it didn't seem like it. I, I felt like this was a continuation of 2011, and I was so excited. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, this year, the next year, 2013, and 2014, those were, in a way, I mean, obviously, 2009, 2010 were really bad years to yeah. follow Djokovic. Really bad years. Because, I mean, 2009 even had some moments. 2010 yeah. was dreadful right but 24 2012 2013 2014 he won a slam in each of them yeah but only the one it it felt like he was underachieving like looking back i mean yes i mean 2012 went on to be like an average year for him like i remember you you wrote in your u.s open like preview for him like um this is inexplicable that he lost that that final like i mean i mean the one against murray yeah i mean that was that that was was... that, that was peak andy and everything but I mean, no. yeah, just because of the wind, yeah, because it was windy. Too much to ask. <laughs> I, the windy. I remember windy. reading. I remember reading your line. It's like 
he allowed his imperious form to be interrupted by, and then it was like an ellipses, and it was like the wind. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, like, the wind. Um, and that and that Wimbledon semi loss to Federer is one of his worst. Like, yeah, he he actually was kind of out of that match by the start of the third. Yeah. Whichever said he was he was not very because even the set that he won was kind of like it, it, it was, it was, it was quick, like it's not yeah. gonna go this is not gonna end up in anything no and, and then basically those three seasons made everyone think 2011 was indeed an aberration yeah that was the year that everything aligned and and something special had to happen for this guy who again now he's a known quantity, especially in big matches. But back then he was not. Yeah. He was not. You didn't you didn't know. You hoped that he would be what he could be, mm-hmm. play up to his potential. But you never knew what was gonna derail him because you know the one that he loses against Murray. Actually, that's a match I didn't even see. I think I've seen oh, really? the, the end. That was a dumb scheduling thing. But the win was such a stupid situation because the Ferrer match, which was the, the semi, yeah, he loses the first at 6-2 mm-hmm. for no reason right. other than the win. No reason. It's just the win. It was windy. Yeah, He was yeah. losing his mind and playing terribly because it was windy. And yeah. then it wasn't windy, and he won 1-4-2. and two. Right. I mean, and he let that happen again against team in the Roland Garros semis in 2019. Like, let, he let that Another first set go um, without even fighting for it. I mean, I, I don't think he would have won the final, but that was... His last chance at four in a row. Um, well, I mean, no. I guess, I guess this year, but <laughs> last year, but that, that that was tougher in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I think, I mean, like people forget as well that before Wimbledon twenty fourteen, he had a losing record in major finals, which seems unimaginable now. Um, well, like now he's before, now he's the match player. And before Wimbledon twenty fourteen, that was when, that was when you were thinking, because 2012, 2013, at the end of the year, we're like. Well, at least he did win his one slam, right? Yeah. But 2014, he loses at the Australian Open to right. Stan in, in a very dumb match. In a very dumb match point. Oh, my God. And um, uh, and the, the second last point as well. Um, I don't you remember, remember that, that one. one. I, heard, I just um, remember he, the serve and volley. Vavrinka shanks a return. Um, and it ends up as like a shitty drop shot. And Djokovic gets there in plenty of time. And he slices the dink wide when, like, when anything would have worked. Um, and, and I remember people were like, people flipped out on commentary, and then he followed it up with an even worse miss on the next point. I mean, that's that's the only time when he's truly blown a close match, right? Like, oh, and, and remember, I think that's when when I think twenty fourteen is when he hired uh, Boris Becker, and then that happens yeah. at the Australian Open. And I was joking, you know, okay, this is going to be a very short appointment, right? But then that's the, that's the year he wins his second Wimbledon. Yeah, and that's the year when I mean, in 2015 is 2015, and then 2016, yeah. and then you're like, okay, it was not an aberration. This guy is actually can be that good. Yeah, when he gets through it, and you know, we we now know what he is. Yeah, but back then, that's the thing that people when they make when they think back on matches, they tend tend to forget what the players were at that time. Right, and I did expect Djokovic to, well, that, that's the thing. I expected Djokovic to show up for this final mm-hmm. because even as shambolic as he was in the semis against Murray, this was against Nadal, who had just, yeah. you know, had just beaten six straight times. Right. But I don't think that most matches after this, I felt 
Oh, the one thing I will mention that people also forget because it is, it's like a little footnote mm-hmm. that Nadal got a, a nice a, a nice and completely random and unfortunate assist to finally break the streak against Djokovic. It was that uh, Djokovic's grandfather, match, right? His grandfather died. Yeah. And this was like a very important figure in his life. Yeah. And you could see that final. He was... Yeah, he wasn't. There. I think he didn't die before the final. I think he died before the between the quarters and the semis, and he made it to the final. But that's what I was also talking about the the whole mental thing. Yeah, physically he was perfect. Right. But if you're mentally, you don't have it. Like he didn't have it at all in the U.S. Open final. Like he ran out. Yeah. He was out. Physically he was fine. But if you don't have the mentality, the the mental gas to be able to focus and so that you can fight, you yeah. can't compete. Right. And in that one, you know, not always like, well, can't say right place, right time, because he was always there. Right. But yeah, I mean, eight, eight in a row. Is, yes, yeah. he was always there. So that you, can, you can't say that was lucky that he was there. No, he wasn't lucky. He was always there. But that's the one where I think, man, if that doesn't happen, because not all, obviously, because people always say, look, Player A plays player B, and player B is hurt, and player A wins. And people say, well, that doesn't matter in the long run for player B because he was hurt, Mm -hmm. and player A has to know that. But what they don't realize is that winning generates confidence. Like getting the win, even if you know, like, yeah, his grandfather died. No, no, no. This win on top of how I played in Australia, on top of how I played the US Open, like, okay. And also remembering yeah. all the mini wins he had before. Right. But that's one where, yeah, that's one of those little nuggets that gets forgotten. And yeah, after that, not always after the races, right? Like you yeah. sort of won six out of seven or. I think so. Yeah. I mean, including that Monte Carlo one, I think it was six out of seven. Um, but yeah, I mean, w- with these two, I think like a little bit when Federer is involved, but not as much, it's like. I mean, it's almost weird because like their peak level is so high and they're, they're the only one who can really match it. Like, but it, but like you get a lot of blowouts ironically, because it's like, if you don't show up with everything going right, like you're going to get completely run over. Um, yes. which is why you got that, that rematch seven years later, which, um, uh, in the 2019 final, which I'm kind of still mad at because I was, I was expecting a close match and the night before, I was like hanging out with some friends um, and then the host goes like, Hey, do you all want to sleep over? Um, and under normal circumstances, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Um, but I'm like, no man, like I, I can't miss this match. Um, and, so, and so I go home and I get up at three in the morning and it's uh, I mean, Djokovic was amazing, but at this point I didn't really like him. Um, I didn't really understand why he was so good. And so I was like, and what is going on? Like Rafa, what are you doing? Um, and it was just a miserable watch because um, I was expecting like a sequel. But yeah, I mean, it's weird because like they're so evenly matched in so many ways. But it's also like if if one thing is faltering, like blowout. So yes, they have to be. The funny thing about that stretch after the Djokovic seven in a row is mm-hmm. that the next five were on clay. And yeah. out of those, Djokovic only won the, the Monte Carlo one that you were talking about. Right. That he played amazing. But then Nadal beats him at the French, which is the when Djokovic was up 4-2 and blew his advantage. Yeah. Which I never really... And it was kind of actually... It was kind of similar to this situation where I didn't yeah. feel like Djokovic played well that match. Yeah. I didn't feel like that match was all that good. 
to be honest. I don't, yeah. It was a slog. It was probably the clay twin of the 2012 final. Yeah. I, and, well, and also you, people think about it as a final when it actually was the semifinal. Right. Poor, uh, pure, poor Ferrer. Everyone knew it was going to yeah. <laughs> to either of them. And yeah. And then the next, but the funny thing is after that French Open one, which Djokovic could not translate the, the recent Monte Carlo mm-hmm. that all beats him in Canada and beats him at the U S open. And yeah. I don't think, I mean, the Canada one, I didn't see, but that was seven, six in the third. Yeah. And the U S open one, I, I obviously did see, mm-hmm. I don't think Djokovic was in that match at all. No, like he, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy that he even, cause he had love 40 at four all in the third. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a twin of that. Wimbledon semi with Federer because that one as well, he had a break point at four all in the third. Like he had a chance to go up in that match and he, and it kind of ended up being a blowout in the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I vividly remember reading like your live recaps of these matches and, um, and the French open one, I remember you were like the entire time you're like, Djokovic is not using the right tactics. Like he's, um, he's not What's trying to do? put, he's not trying to put Nadal in backhand jail and he's not hitting his backhand down the line. Um, and so I remember you were kind of astonished that he even went off a break in the fifth. Um, like I, I remember a phrase you used was like, it was, it was lopsided for a nine, seven in the fifth match, which is like, which is such a like paradoxical thing to say, but it was true because um, I think Nadal won like 60% of his second serve points or something. Um, and this, in this 2012 final, he wins like 40 something. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, there was a, it was their rivalry is I'm just happy that they gave us the Wimbledon semi. Yeah. Which is to me clearly their best match. Yeah. That's that's the crown jewel. Yeah. And then the the French Open semi, which I mean I that third set, and actually the first set is pretty underrated because the first set at the beginning they start so well. Yeah, I mean, the first two games points. are amazing, yeah. And then you know the that all just goes up five nothing. You're thinking, oh crap. Yeah, but it actually starts really well. Yeah. But then second it's it's a little bit, but then the third set, but they've at least given us more. And at the time, I don't know that we thought that that was even going to be possible. Yeah. Because so many of those matches afterwards were not that competitive. Mm-hmm. If you look at them, well, that in 2014, 2015, that's when Djokovic went on his crazy streak against uh not all on hardware, he was just well, and then on clay, even where he yeah. would just not even give him a set, not yeah, even I mean, in exhibitions. Yeah, and I remember watching highlights of these matches, and it was kind of like before I understood what was going on, but it was like this dynamic in the 2012 final where like Nadal just can't do anything. I'd be like, Nadal, what are you doing? Like, you're you're playing every point the way Djokovic wants, like, you're getting killed, hit your forehand down the line, but like, I didn't realize like he can't, you know, it's not. It's not a feasible possibility with how much time no. he has. Um, and I think that's something that like took me a while to understand about Nadal's forehand is like, like when he gets time, it's it's like the best or equal with Federer's. Like there's this point in, I think to go up double set point in the first set, where like serve out wide, Djokovic hits like a mediocre return, and then Nadal hits like an inside out bomb, and then a baseline smash, and then a cross court bomb, and then finishes with a volley. And it's like, yeah, w- when it has time, like you are screwed, but it's actually not that hard to deprive it of time. It's just that like hard to do it sustainably for a long period of time. Like not everyone has a Djokovic backhand. You're going to start messing eventually. Um, no, because the way you, 
I mean, Nadal, and that's the funny thing about Nadal and Federer is that they kind of like to operate from the same part of the court. Yeah. Running around their backhands. But in the way you screw them is you don't let them do that and right. them make them, force them to hit backhands so that they don't have time or they feel like they have to run around and force it and you mm-hmm. mess their whole rhythm. And yeah, that's that's the thing. And and the other thing is when Djokovic, when Nadal sometimes, that's one thing. I don't know if you noticed in this match, I didn't feel like Djokovic defended the down the line Nadal forehand all that well. Like mm-hmm. like these later on in the rivalry, it feels like Djokovic resets a lot of those points. Yeah, but in this one, I I don't think he reset any of them. I, Some I of think... them he couldn't even put it back in play. Yeah, I think part of it was like, I mean, there's one weird one like early in the first set where Nadal hits one and it's not it's not all that good, but Djokovic doesn't even chase it. But I think part of it was that he knew that like it was unlikely enough that it was coming that he didn't even need to cover it and he could just give Nadal the space. Because um, I'm I'm watching it and it's like, again, I don't think he hits more than like a handful of them. Um, so like when he does, Djokovic can kind of be like, okay, like I'll, I'll give that to you because I know you can't do it sustainably. I'll live with that. I mean, yeah. Contrast that with the Wimbledon semi where Nadal hits oh a million Lord. of those. And that's mm-hmm. it's it's crazy because that's better than he's ever hit it, and he loses the match. Um, I mean, sometimes I feel like Nadal's. I mean, this was something I thought about putting in that piece I wrote about him. It, sometimes it feels like his intensity almost works against him sometimes and helps his opponents peak. Like I don't, and I don't know how to explain it, but it's like I don't know if there's any player who loses more when they're playing really well, if that makes any sense. <laughs> like sometimes it feels like he, he plays really well. It's and his p- opponent just kind of inexplicably peaks and beats him anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, it happened to Federer in the 2019, 19 or no, 2018, uh, no, 2019 final at Wimbledon. Cause Federer was, Oh, the semi. Yeah. The, the, the whole, well, the, the Nadal one, I didn't see, but against Djokovic, like he was oh, yeah. a better player. The whole match. Yeah. Except for the tie breaks. Oh my God. That, that match. I mean, that like how, so... oh my God. So this, um, I mean, I'll tell you a fun story about this. I mean, this was kind of like, it, like ironically that this was sort of what like made me more, more neutral, I guess. But like before it happened, I was like pro Federer, anti Djokovic. And um, I mean, so I didn't see this match. I was like, I was, I was at a camp abroad, but I knew what was happening. And I knew Federer had no chance, but I'm still like, I'm still invested. So I'm like, I got to find out what the score is. And so I see, so I ask this counselor and the counselor goes, okay, first set seven, six Djokovic, second set six, one. And I was like, oh shit, this is less close than I thought it would be. And then he goes six, one Federer. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like something, something might be happening here. Um, And then I see, and I was following the live score when Federer blew the match points. And as soon as I see it changed to eight all, I'm like, that's it. He's, he's lost. And then, and then finally, at the end of the trip, I like read the whole live recap, and I'm like, oh "My God, he was ahead in the first set tiebreak, and he had set point in the third set." And like, and how did he lose this match? Like, oh my God! I mean, um, like Brian Phillips wrote this crazy good piece about it. Um, but like you, you mentioned him in um, in like the first podcast we did, and I like checked out his work. Like, he's he's a crazy good writer. I I love his work. Yes. Um, but he was like, um. Okay, I just completely lost my train of thought, but he wrote this amazing piece about it. And um and like Federer led all the stats and everything, um, and just lost the match. And I'm just like how 
Um, oh yeah, and and he had this line where he was like, "If if you knew their history." chances are you never fully believed Federer could win even when he had the match points. I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's tragic, but it's completely true. (laughs) I, but the funny thing is I missed, I watched, I think I bailed on that match. Yeah. I I remember um, you wrote about it in your, your shot piece. And you're like, I think you said you took your, your daughter to the pool. (laughs) I literally took my daughter (laughs) to the pool and I was so much happier at, in the pool with my kid and she was having a great time and i think i i checked the 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 score on my phone i was like they're in the fifth set and then i think we went back home Mm -hmm. not even because of the match we went back home because it was time and then i saw that they were in the in a tiebreaker so i completely missed that federer had the match points later i found out and i was like oh that's hilarious because i did (laughs) see the the two i i think i did see the tiebreaker like the Uh the end and i remember being completely anticlimactic because i thought it was to 10 right i thought it was a super tiebreaker and then they say it ended at seven three what it ended it's over and on a shank too. It's like yeah. This. Oh my god. And um, Which pretty fitting, honestly, for that yeah. match. Yeah. And and the like, did you know they they replayed the last point because basically like Federer the first time they played the six three point Federer's on the attack and Djokovic hits a really short ball uh, and it's called out and right after that Federer kind of slaps a backhand into the net and then Djokovic challenges and it's in um and I think he's annoyed he didn't get the point but but then they replay it and Federer just immediately shanks a forehand like off off his best shot too yes. um oh like my, my <laughs> lord like it's i the way some of this stuff happens is completely inexplicable like i i thought for a while after kind of learning about all Djokovic's great escapes i'm like does he do this on purpose like does he just walk as close to the cliff as he can to like see what crazy situations he can work his way out of um i don't wild. know man he he wasn't always like this but once he developed a taste for it yeah i think it's just the confidence of of not freaking out mm-hmm. the he gained so much confidence that he in himself that all of us he knows that he's not out until he's out yeah and he can because that's the thing most humans would be out are out you see it in tennis all the time yeah players are out after one set players are out after a set and a half and in the big matches not always because there are plenty where he did go away mm-hmm. but in a, a lot of these he just he just doesn't yeah i mean and talk about extreme situations like facing match points on federer serve twice about as little control as you can possibly have um one of the best servers ever yeah on hard and grass not even clay and and federer um he makes first serves on three out of those four points yeah um the only the which one did he miss? Uh, the one the ace on the, on the first one at Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I mean, the two at the US Open were first serves, and the yeah. the other one at Wimbledon was the first serve. Yeah. So first serves from Federer on three of the four, and you won all four. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and the stuff he does against the crowd as well. Um, like another thing that was in that Brian Phillips article is he's like, he's like, I think maybe we like helped Djokovic become so strong because he knew 
once he couldn't count on our support, he had to figure out how to overcome us and his opponent. And then the or, what was it? He said he said something about how it's a great line. It's like by wanting him yeah, to we, lose, we, we, we helped him, him win. We helped him learn to win by wanting him to lose. Yeah, that was the last line of the piece. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't oh know, man. man. <laughs> well, this was fun, my friend. The, yeah. I'm just so relieved. It just feels so good to talk about like tennis. 